Hello and welcome. Thank you for tuning in to this week's Aging with Grace podcast titled, The People You Elect Are Capable of Making Laws That Can Hurt You, Part 2. This podcast is going to be about laws we have and laws we need that affect our health. I'll also be talking about some other legal and healthcare documents that I first learned about when I brought my ailing in-laws into my home. That was before before I opened Aging with Grace. I'm D.G. Linton Gridley, the founder and CEO of Aging with Grace, a company dedicated to providing non-medical personal assistance services to our members at home and or during the daytime hours of 10 to 4 at our Fountain of Youth Clubhouse, where we have good food, fun, and friends, and a nurse to help our members to their best health possible. The Clubhouse is licensed as an adult day healthcare center, an ADHC for short, but I like to call it a health club for seniors. And we accept private pay, long-term care insurance, veterans benefits, and Medicaid, but not Medicare. Medicare does not pay for adult day healthcare centers. I am hoping that someday ADHCs, health clubs, will be where everyone visits regularly to take care of their health and focus on prevention and and the prevention of diseases and hospitalizations and will be paid for with Medicare. But for now, ADHCs are the least expensive form of care for people with dementia. That's how they're most utilized. ADHCs have been shown to slow the progression of dementia for those who attend regularly. We have seen many people with dementia over the years. Most of our members come to us with a son or daughter, husband or wife. Typically, they live together because our Fountain of Youth Clubhouse members cannot be safely left alone. Of course, a husband and wife are already living together, but when the person with dementia is living with the son or daughter, usually the son or daughter moves into mom and dad's house, but sometimes mom or dad moves into their children's house. Husband or wife, son or daughter... They all need time away from their loved one with dementia. Time to shop, time to be with friends, time to take a nap, time to just relax and be alone. Living with someone with dementia is very stressful. I know. I have done it. I shared about bringing my 82-year-old in-laws with dementia to come live with me in 2007 in previous Aging with Grace podcasts. I did not have any access to their money to pay for their care or any right to make legal or medical decisions for them. At first, when we first brought them to our house, we didn't know they had drawn up a power of attorney document when they were in their 50s. We found it later when we moved their furniture and other belongings out of their house in New York and divided it between their two sons and several grandchildren. The power of attorney gave the two sons the ability to manage their money. I can't remember if it was a springing power of attorney or just a regular one. A springing power of attorney is one that can't be used unless the person who is giving the power of attorney is deemed incompetent or incapacitated. If they are deemed incapacitated or incompetent, the power springs into action. But I have been told by elder law attorneys that this springing kind is not good because it takes time to prove the person is incapacitated or incompetent, and in the meantime, the person who is named in the power of attorney, the one who has to make decisions and spend money on their care, is stuck waiting. I don't remember us having to wait for the power of attorney to take effect, but in my mother and father-in-law's case, they gave their two sons joint power of attorney. That meant that both of them had to sign for legal and financial matters like selling their house 
and accessing their bank account, retirement account, etc. The brothers live three and a half hours away from one another, so getting them together to sign documents was a challenge. That was before DocuSign. (laughs) It would have been better for us if it was a power of attorney that gave power to one or the other. However, a power of attorney won't help you if you are trying to access someone's medical records or any medical information. You need a healthcare proxy for that or a healthcare directive. When we went to New York to bring my in-laws to live with us because my mother and father-in-law both had some kind of dementia, we really didn't know much about dementia then. We just knew they weren't thinking clearly. So we visited their doctor to ask for their medical records. We had not brought my in-laws with us to the doctor. The doctor would not give the medical records to us. The doctor's office said my then-husband was not on the form that they kept on file for each of their patients. His brother was which we thought was strange since his brother was not the one rescuing them. It was on a, on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and late in the day, and we didn't have time to fetch my in-laws and bring them to the doctor's office to give their permission, and we had to be back to work on Monday to teach school. They gave us a form and said to fax it to them. Fortunately for my father-in-law, he was a veteran. The day after we arrived back in Lexington, we took him to the VA hospital and got him into the system here in Lexington. They didn't examine him, as I recall, but I remember filling out some paperwork. That's one thing about the VA. They have a medical record system that is accessible worldwide. We had to wait longer for my mother-in-law's records because my mother-in-law was not sure about who her doctor was or when she was last seen. She didn't have the same doctor as my father-in-law, it turned out. I remember my father-in-law had mentioned taking her to the doctor about her leg a couple of years prior but I did not make a note of where that was and could not remember. Wouldn't it be wonderful if each one of us had a secure website where we could register our health information and physicians could access it to enter our health information? That is the solution to the problem of accessing medical records. It is a problem to this day, even at our ADHC, our Fountain of Youth Clubhouse. We must obtain medical records for each of our members, and sometimes it is like pulling teeth. Of course, for people with dementia, remembering a password to get into their medical records website might be a challenge, but if we knew that everyone had a medical records website, we would just have to figure out the password. There would be a support number for that, as there are for other secure websites like bank accounts. But that would be much easier than trying to determine which doctor or clinic or hospital my mother-in-law had been seen in last. So even without their medical records, I was sure that they had not had a flu shot. I took both of them to a doctor near our house at that time to get a flu shot. I didn't get a flu shot, but I should have. It may have prevented me from getting the flu in January of that year, that next year. They didn't get the flu, but I did. Anyway, what I didn't know back then was that the three different healthcare systems here in Lexington don't talk to one another. Each doctor here in Lexington is affiliated with one of the healthcare systems, and since I took my mother-in-law to that doctor near me, she was entered into the University of Kentucky healthcare system. That doctor did not do a thorough exam at that time, but even though all he did was give them flu shots, I found out later that he entered them into the UK healthcare system. Anyway, it was late in the day after I finished teaching and they had worked us in for the flu shots at his office. I was hoping for a thorough exam of both of them, but it didn't happen. 
But a couple of weeks later, on a Sunday morning, my mother-in-law was wearing a mid-calf nightgown. She always wore shoes and socks, even with her nightgown. But I saw her briefly on her way to the bathroom as I was getting dressed for church. I noticed one of her legs was red. I asked her about it again. I had asked her about it earlier because I noticed she was limping, and she just said, Oh, I banged my ankle on the porch while I was sweeping. It's fine. At that time, I really didn't understand my mother-in-law's mental status. She seemed capable and in her right mind sometimes, but she said and did some bizarre things at other times. She told me she threw her diamonds in the garbage, for example. The same diamonds she used to carry around with her wherever she went. I never saw them, but supposedly they were heirlooms and worth a fortune. I chalked it up. Her behavior, I mean, the throwing of the throwing away of the diamonds, I chalked that up to being a result of all the stress she was under because of her husband's dementia. She had always been eccentric over the years. I suspected she was bipolar, but knew she had never been diagnosed or received any help for that. I knew her sister and her mother had been diagnosed and had even spent times in mental health hospitals, and her brother was a horrible alcoholic who died early from it. My mother-in-law didn't drink, but she smoked a lot, <laughs> although she said she always said she didn't inhale. <laughs> but I really didn't understand my mother-in-law's mental condition at all at that time. Like I said, we only visited a couple of times a year, so when she told me that her leg was fine, I was confused because it didn't look fine. My mother, who was a nurse, always told me that a red limb meant infection. At church that day, I asked a woman in my Sunday school class who was a nurse about it, and she suggested I take my mother-in-law to a doctor right away. So when I got home from church, I asked my mother-in-law to go to the doctor. Since it was a Sunday, I knew we would have to go to the urgent treatment center. My mother-in-law did not want to go to the doctor. Out of respect, I did not want to tell her what to do, but out of genuine concern, I asked I insisted that she show me her ankle. She complied reluctantly. The sight of the wounds on her ankle made me feel sick to my stomach. She had two deep, ugly ulcers. I I could go into detail describing it, but I don't want to make you sick too. (laughs) I told her we are going to the doctor right now. I told my then-husband that he needed to look after my father-in-law while I took her to the doctor, and off we went. The urgent treatment center that I was familiar with and that I'd used for years was open, so we went there. I remember the young doctor who saw my mother-in-law was seriously concerned about my mother-in-law's wounds. She told me she could lose her leg, but even more concerned about her high blood pressure. I remember it was 200 over something. The doctor wanted my mother-in-law to go to the hospital immediately, but my mother-in-law refused. The doctor said, you must promise then that you will see your primary care physician tomorrow or as soon as possible. So she promised and we left. She also prescribed blood pressure medication and we got her prescription filled on the way home. But my mother-in-law did not have a primary care doctor yet. And strangely enough, the doctor that we saw for the flu shots had transferred to Louisville right after seeing us, and was unavailable to us. I can't remember exactly how we ended up having two appointments. One was with the St. Joseph Healthcare System, and one was with the UK Healthcare System. And as I said, I didn't realize that they weren't talking to each other. I just did as I was told. A nurse came to the house and showed me how to debride and bandage her wounds. At one of her appointments, they did an ultrasound and found that her arteries in her leg with the wounds were blocked. 
They recommended that she have stents inserted. My mother-in-law refused. At another appointment, the doctor put a compression bandage on her leg and told her to stay off her feet and elevate her leg most of the day. My mother-in-law did not stay off her leg or elevate it. A nurse came to the house regularly to check on her wounds and check on her blood pressure, but it was never the same nurse. I don't know which healthcare system the nurses were affiliated with, and I discontinued the debriding of her wounds every day when she got the compression bandage, but I had to take her to the doctor twice a week to have the bandages changed and her wound cleaned. And her wounds, they were there were two of them. I was not in the treatment room when her leg was bandaged, so I had no idea what her wounds were doing. I did see some of the x-rays that showed that the infection had found its way into her bones. My mother-in-law was a very non-compliant patient. Not only did she refuse the stents to open the arteries in her legs, leg, but she would not stay off her leg. She would not elevate it, and she would not leave the compression bandage alone. The doctor specifically told her not to touch it, but she said it was too tight, and during the night, she took it off over and over, night after night. I was very frustrated and insisted my, that my then-husband take her to the doctor. One day, the doctor informed her during a visit that gangrene had set in her toes and she would lose her leg, and they sent her directly to the hospital. But she refused treatment there and managed to walk out on her own with a nurse and my then-husband chasing after her out of the hospital, the nurse with a form insisting that she sign because she refused treatment. They told her she could die if she didn't have her leg removed. We called her other son in, Indian in Indianapolis and told him about the latest developments. He came to Lexington right away and took her to a doctor there in Indianapolis. They said the same thing and operated immediately. She went to a rehab after the hospital and was there 100 days until her Medicare benefits ran out, and then she lived with her son and his family in Indianapolis until April of 2011. The time that she lived with them was very busy for me. My youngest son started college. My father-in-law passed away. My oldest son married in Washington State, and I went to the wedding. My middle son had my first grandchild in Washington State. My mother sickened and passed, passed away, and I earned a master's in healthcare administration. Then my brother-in-law brought my mother-in-law back to live with us in 2011. I went to great lengths to try to make her life comfortable and happy with us, but it became increasingly clear to me that my mother-in-law was not capable of making her own health care decisions. When my, when my mother-in-law was living with me in 2007 and 2008, I tried my best to help her get healthier, but she did not want my help. Besides, I already had my hands full helping my father-in-law and my son and working a full-time job. I became frustrated and assigned her son, my then-husband, to the job of helping my mother-in-law get healthier, thinking that she would be more agreeable with him, as was her habit. The problem was, however, that my then-husband was not good at insisting that his mother do this or that to get healthier. He always let her have her way. And as little as I understood about how the healthcare system worked, he understood even less. In my opinion, the system is rigged. The healthcare system is rigged so that families get exhausted and frustrated and older people and concerned others suffer because there are not laws that support people who need help outside of the nursing home. We need a law that creates a health record system for everyone on Medicare that is equal to or better than the VA's electronic record system. I think it is criminal how this piece of the healthcare puzzle has been neglected by those in power. 
My solution is for each Medicare recipient to have their own individual website maintained by Medicare. All our health records would be stored there. After all, we have online secure banking, so surely we can have online secure health record keeping. Second, we need a law that mandates a mental clarity test for people who visit the doctor and who are Medicare recipients. This test would be so thorough that it would determine if the Medicare recipient was capable of making their own health care decisions. It would test for dementia as well as mental illness like schizophrenia and for addictions. If a Medicare recipient was determined to not have the capacity to make their own health care decisions, then a case manager would be assigned to oversee their health care. The case manager would be an RN trained to access needed services in the community and to ensure that their clients got the recommended tests and screenings with the goal of preventing decline. Until those laws are a reality, however, people are cast adrift to manage their own health care. Your doctor isn't doing it. Oh, sure, you can call him or her and schedule a visit, but you have to be the one to initiate the visit. No one checks up on you to ensure you go for a checkup. No one is looking at your overall health and making recommendations, unless you join the Aging with Grace's Fountain of Youth Clubhouse. If you join the Aging with Grace Clubhouse, you will have a nurse and a team of professionals who look after all your health care needs. All your medical records are kept at the clubhouse. My mother-in-law would not have lost her leg if she had been a member of a health club for seniors. I wish she and my father-in-law could have joined such a club in New York, in the community in which they lived. That's another law we need changed. Medicare needs to encourage and pay for membership to health clubs for seniors so we can have our needs, our health needs monitored and met as we grow older. It would save billions of dollars in untold pain and suffering by preventing illnesses from happening in the first place. But that is not the way our health care system makes money. Doctors and hospitals get paid when you are sick, not when you are well. That is another law that needs to be written. Medicare should reward doctors for keeping you well. Our lawmakers make a, made a law about 10 years ago that punishes the pocketbooks of hospitals when they have too many readmissions. Since then, hospitals have been trying to do a better job of helping patients get discharged with a safety net of needed services like in-home, one-on-one, non-medical help, which Medicare does not pay for, I might add, and help from visiting nurses. They come for about an hour or even less to check up on people, which Medicare does pay for, to prevent readmission. Aging with Grace's Fountain of Youth Clubhouse is an excellent way to prevent readmission, but Medicare doesn't pay for it. Please be a superhero and write your representatives on the federal level and ask for a medical record system for Medicare recipients, for a mandatory test for Medicare recipients to determine if they are capable of managing their own health care, and if they are not, a case manager to be assigned to them. And please write and ask for for Medicare to pay for a health club for seniors where Medicare recipients can come for good food, fun, and friends, and a nurse to help them to their best health possible. Currently, Medicare will pay up for up to 100 days in a nursing home after a hospital stay. Membership at the Health Club for Seniors would focus on prevention and cost much less. That's all I have for this podcast. So here's wishing you a coming week of making happy memories, writing those letters to your congressman, and being a senior superhero. Bye for now.
Thanks for taking the time to listen to the last episode. For more information, please go to agingwithgraceinfo.org. That's agingwithgraceinfo.org. Thank you. The health club for seniors is your kind of place. So come and join us and age with grace.